We're back. Another edition here of the Auburn Undercover Podcast on the 24-7 Sports Network. My name is Nathan King. We've got a roundtable edition of the podcast, our first roundtable of the season as we are looking ahead to Auburn's season opener on Saturday, 6 p.m. inside a full Jordan-Hare Stadium, 100% capacity allowed as compared to last season. Obviously, everybody, all the players are very excited about getting back in front of a substantial home crowd. They're playing Akron, which is objectively, look on paper, one of the worst teams in the country last season, not expected to be much better this year, but still it's worth previewing the game. Auburn, obviously, it's not going to be super easy for them as they build in and continue to work through learning curves on both the offense and defensive side of the ball. New coordinators, new coaches all over the place. Brian Harson, it'll be his first game. So, um, Jason, we'll start with you. We got Jason Caldwell, Mark Murphy, Philip Marshall here today. Uh, Jason, you've been you've been clamoring for uh, looking for a depth chart over the past couple of days. It's been a little bit of slim pickings, but uh, you finally got one today. And interestingly enough, one of the positions we know the most about because it's kind of difficult to get information on this team. I think there's just kind of minimal coverage of a team like Akron. Cato um, Nelson is a quarterback who's had some success for them in the past, individual success. But that's what Tom Arth, their head coach, said yesterday. But um, he's not the definitive starter on the roster right now. And then they also had some pretty big news um, this week. Another person in their backfield, they took a big hit in the backfield. Tell me a little bit about that and tell me a little bit about your impressions of this depth chart. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at the depth chart and there's three quarterbacks listed and Mikado Nelson's going to be the starter. I mean, he's, he's the, the most veteran guy, but you know, when Tom Arth this week talked about playing multiple quarterbacks and there's three quarterbacks listed on the depth chart, um, Zach Gibson's a guy that started six games for them last year when Cato Nelson w- was out. And DJ Irons, he, he talked about him as a, a 6'6", 205-pound junior college transfer, originally from Georgia that's big physical athletic kid. I mean, I think we're going to see probably all three of those guys at some point uh, when you start talking about, um, you know, this this Akron team. I mean, it, it's, it was a, a struggle, to say the least, last year when you start looking at uh, – you know, looking at what they did, what they didn't do in in six games in the MAC, um, you know, they they didn't score many points. Um, you know, they were very pretty much anemic. They only had four touchdown passes all year, and that's why I'm getting Cato Nelson's back. They were 17 points a game, um, 12 total touchdowns, and a lot of that came from Tion Dillard, um, you know, running back that uh, had you know 666 yards, um, led them with six touchdowns. Um, he is no longer with the team. He had some issues in the spring, carried over to now, and uh, he's no, no longer with the team. So they have you know a freshman in John Zell Nars that Narls that played some last year, um, 5'10", 200 pounds or so. Then Anthony Williams uh, is is a transfer from Michigan State uh, that I think they're pretty excited about. A 6'1", 195. He's a three star kid from Detroit. Um, that you know obviously you're, you got that that good enough to sign at Michigan State. You're probably pretty athletic. So. Um, you know, this is a, a team that I think can be a much better offensive team than they were last year. They played a ton of offensive linemen that played last year as either freshmen or redshirt freshmen, and they got some size. Uh, the left tackle is Avery Gray, 6'9", 315. Um, you know, he's a, he's a big kid. Right tackle, 6'6", 300. They, they both started some last year. They're 6'5", 292, 6'6", 305, and 6'3", 285 across the front. So, um you know, I think the, the maybe the more interesting thing about them is they got a lot of youth at wide receiver. <laughs> kind of sounds familiar a little bit, but yep. 
Kanata Mumpfield is a freshman, 6'1", 178, that is going to play a lot for this team. Michael Matheson's a young kid. Anthony Grimes, a small small kid that played a little bit last year, is a true freshman. So um, I think it'll be a much better offensive team than, than what people you know saw last year from them. But um, this one that, that still has plenty of issues, especially when you talk about you know losing your top running back. So that's, that's kind of what stands out about them offense or defensively. They got a pretty good linebacker crew, uh, Bubba Arslanian, um, guy that is a preseason all-MAC player, 5'10", 215, a bunch of tackles last year for them. Corey Thomas, Julian Richardson, um, you know, 6'3", 6'4", 225 or so kids that play on the outside. Julian Richardson is a kid from Albany, Georgia. Will be pretty fired up, I would imagine, to, to come back and play against Auburn. Um, one of the best names in college football, just Lord Botang. Um, he's 6'1", 230. Michael Scott, 6'3", 245. I mean, they got some linebackers, I think, that can play. Um, the issue for them is they're just not very big up front. Um, you know, 6'3", 280, Bryce Wilson's a kid from um, Atlanta. Um, you know, that that will be a guy that, that'll that give a little push inside. But, you know, the other defensive linemen listed are, are Zach Morton at 6'4", 260, and Ryan McLean at 6'4", 240. Um, that's the front. Um, there's only – you know, out of the uh, eight guys listed in their 3-4 defense on the defensive line, only three of them are, are more than 260 pounds. So my guess is if you're Auburn, you're going to be prepared to see a team that's going to put seven, eight, nine guys in the box uh, and try to make Bo Nixon and this, this passing game beat them. Um, can they do that? I have my doubts. Uh, they gave up a ton of points last year too, but uh, I think you're going to see them do everything they can to, to try to let, you know, Tank Bigsby and Sean Shivers not beat them, uh, you know, based on their size. I think they, they probably fix the stack line scrimmage pretty good. So you got a you got a Jess Lord Jess Lord Botang and a and a Michael Scott in the linebacking core. So that's, yeah, that'll be something pretty fun to pretty fun to look for. Um, Philip, you and I were talking a little earlier today, and you said that you know if they really wanted to, they'll they'd just run the ball a million times this game and run out the clock. It'd be a two hour game, and they'd rack up you know. 700 yards, but, you know, Jason, you said, you know, they will be a little improved offensively, but I'm going to give you all some numbers here um, on the defense. So they returned 10 starters. That's good. But if you look across the board in college football this season, everybody returns starters. You got the super seniors. Um, last season, some numbers for Akron's defense. They were 120th in the country rushing yards per game, 125th and third down percentage, 127th in points per play allowed, and 127th in yards per play. And that's, like Jason said, that's against an all-MAC schedule that's not again they're playing auburn and they're playing ohio state this year that's not against any of those kinds of teams that's only against mac teams so philip auburn's going to be breaking in a new offensive scheme this this uh this first game do you expect them to go super heavy on the run game or do you think they'll try to be a little bit more balanced and just work in some plays and some passing concepts for bo nix and just kind of treat it like another scrimmage i would think that they will they will want to look at various uh parts of their offense i don't you know, you got to figure if they wanted to, they could just line up, as you said, and run the ball all day and wear them down and 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 win thirty-five to seven or something. But uh, I, I look for them to throw it around some too. I'll be surprised if they don't. And uh, uh, at the same time, you know, I, I would think in these two games, you're not going to try to do anything uh, particularly fancy. I mean, you want to have you you don't want to show Penn State everything. Uh, I know that's Two weeks away, but but uh, but I would look for them to probably throw somewhere around twenty passes, probably 
uh, would be my guess. And uh, uh, they might just they might come out and run the ball and take control of the game and and then throw the ball. Who knows? But I mean, you know, I I think they're going to run the ball a lot against whoever they play. So uh, it'll be interesting. There's just no way to know really with with so much new and uh, uh, about what they're going to look like. And of course, we haven't been able to see what they're going to look like. And uh, 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 normally, you would expect them to try to get the game in control in the first, in the first half and, and uh, then uh, play everybody. But I don't know if that'll be the, if they'll be in that mode or not. And I think, you know, it's, it's true that you, you can't go into any game just assuming that it's going to be a blowout. And uh, you, you got to be prepared to, put, to play the game. And and the biggest thing, if you don't turn the ball over, it'd be almost you'd have to turn it over a bunch of times probably to be in danger of losing this game. But you would like to build some confidence and look sharp against a team that you should be able to look sharp against. Yeah, you never know. I mean, I think it was 2017 in Yalbin. Uh, my, my memory is a little hazy dating back because I didn't cover the team, but they played Mercer, I think, on the FCS, and they turned the ball over like five or six times. And that was uh, like a yep. And, and it was a seven point. It was a seven point game in the fourth quarter. Yep, and that's an and then FCS. They gave the camera that way about eight straight times, and he ran it in for a touchdown. And I think they won twenty four to him. Yeah, so you never know. You never know what's going to happen in these games. But like Harson said this week, you can't assume. Got to show up and be prepared. Um, that's what me and Jason were talking about earlier this week. Is that it's so interesting that now, after so long of having Gus Mel's on and kind of knowing what to expect when I mean you even saw formation we knew it was going to happen all of our brains are going to be completely reprogrammed to understand the Brian Harson offense now um Mark I wanted to so we put out a, a you know getting some questions from subscribers here on the message board and I wanted to get a to get your opinion on an interesting question here um from let's see it's from Hunter K0228 he said you know the expect the expectation is going to be a blowout win by Auburn but in your opinion, what is one specific aspect of this game that could raise the overall expectations for the season? So what's something that you could see in this game that you would say, even though it's Akron, even though they're, they're a pretty bad team, that you would be able to say, okay, that's a really positive sign for Auburn moving forward, particularly to the Penn State game? You know, maybe if Auburn comes out and has a lot of quarterback sacks in this game and the defense is aggressive and forces some turnovers, I think that would get folks excited and maybe raise the expectations a good bit. Uh, something else, Nathan, that might raise the expectations is maybe two or three of the young receivers who really haven't done anything yet go out and have a big game or somebody like Demetrius Robertson, the newcomer transfer, has a big game. Uh, that would raise expectations too. And Now, while we're just off the subject, I, something I think we're going to see uh, Saturday night is I think the third series – we're going to see a lot of substitutes in both offensively and defensively. And uh, I think the coaching staff's made their mind up. They're going to do that. So uh, I think we're going to see a lot of second teamers play in the first quarter or early in the second quarter. Mark, I'll stick with you here on this next question um, from Jay Watkins, because you wrote about it today. He said, besides Sean Shivers, what does the rest of that running back room look like for this game? Obviously they'll need more than tank Bixby to make it through the season um, then brings up, you know, 2017, everybody remembers when they rode one running back too much at the end of the season and carry on Johnson. Um, what can you tell us? It's something that Brian Harson talked about today 
about that running back rotation behind the the definitive, the defined one-two punch in in Bigsby and Shivers. Yeah, I asked him if any of the three newcomers were going to be able to play on Saturday night, and he indicated we could see all three of them. And uh, he went on and was raving about Sean Jackson, the walk-on from Hewitt Trustville. And, and he's a guy that's been really good up there, and he played in the backfield with Armani Goodwin. It was a former Auburn commitment and a really highly recruited kid. But, uh, you know, Sean Jackson was really good, too. He's a really good receiver, a good blocker. He, I think he had like 1,400 yards as a senior. He was all-state player and uh, not a normal walk-on for sure. And then they got Jordan Ingram, transferred in from Central Michigan. Uh, he's a redshirt freshman, originally from St. Paul's. He was an all-state player down there, too. He's about – 6'1", 200 pounds. And then you got Jarquez Hunter from Neshoba Central over in Mississippi, who was Mr. Football in the state of Mississippi last year. And he's the guy that I figure would be the number three running back coming into the season. I still think that's the case, even though he missed some preseason practice with, a, I think, likely COVID protocol. Uh, so, But uh, he's back ready to go. So I, they've got five running backs, I think, ready to play in the opener. And only two guys returning who actually played running back on the team last year. That's Sean Shivers, the senior, and then Tank Bigsby, the sophomore. So really different looking running back group. And uh, I think, you know, it could have been a real big problem uh, this year with the running backs with all those guys transferring out. But I think they stopped the bleeding with the uh, transfers and getting Jarquez Hunter. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Yeah, and having a walk-on that actually looks really good. Jason, another another question later down here, and this is for you because Sean Jackson is your guy. Um, I, I, don't, I don't even have it pulled up, so I'm not even going to remember the username, but uh, when is Sean Jackson going to get put on scholarship? That was just the, that was just the question. Yeah, the issue is, is that, um, you know, if you put on a, a freshman on scholarship, it's a walk-on, they have to go on initial 25. And so that makes it a, a touchy subject. I think you have to wait two years. And so um, it's, it's going to be really, really difficult for them. But here's something to make it difficult. If Sean Jackson comes out and he wins the, the, the spot as number three and all of a sudden becomes a player, then if you're Auburn, you're going to have to weigh the, the thought of, okay, do, do we see worth the 25 versus – Somebody else gonna tell him, hey, you're gonna be one of our scholarship guys, and, and they're gonna put it, you know, say go into portal, we'll give you a scholarship. So it's gonna be it could be a tough choice if he does indeed become one of those guys this year. But you know, right now, I you know, I don't expect it to happen, but you never know. If they foresee him being the number three guy and a guy that's that's gonna be one of those guys, then then they may say, Hey, look, we don't have any choice. We we believe he's gonna be one of those players that, that deserves a twenty-five. Well, you can, sorry, go ahead, Phil. Every the people who I talked to who went to the scrimmages, most scrimmages, I heard an awful lot about him. And uh, what I don't know is who he was running against as far as on defense, but uh, but it sure does seem like he's gotten people's attention for sure. Yeah, and you want that 
you know, Jason, you and I talked about last week is like five is kind of the number you want there. And so you needed some, when Devin Barrett left in the transfer portal, you needed somebody to emerge at that position. Um, Philip, one of the questions we got here was something interesting that was brought up this week. I can't remember if it was, um, okay, so yeah, it was Bo Nix. Um, Do Drop 24-7 says, Bo Nix said in a recent interview that practice under Harson is quite different than under Gus. Um, could the roundtable guys perhaps give their take on some differences that they have noticed between the two regimes in practice? I, I can't remember exactly what, what Bo said about, or what whoever said, um, that he kind of, I can't remember the exact words about practice being different, but that was the, that was the main thing he said was practice is the biggest difference between Gus Malzahn and Brian Harson. What have you kind of heard about that, Philip? And I mean, how much of a difference can practice really make as opposed to a, to a long-term outcome for a head coach? I've heard a lot about having more best against best because that's something Gus just, he, he did not like to do. And uh, why didn't uh, Gus like to do that? Do you think he was afraid of getting people hurt? And uh, uh, but he didn't. And I think and that that uh, that about drove three defensive coordinators crazy: uh, Ellis Johnson and Will Muschamp and and, and Kevin Steele. And uh, uh, that that's the biggest difference that I've that I've heard. I think it's probably a little bit more. Uh, uh, fast moving in terms of it. I'm not talking about playing fast, but it's fast moving in terms of going from one place to another place, and being constantly in action, doing something. That, that's the that's the two things I've heard most about. Something that is we noticed by talking to Anders Carlson and then by watching Saturday's practice too is how the the special teams. It's not all done at one time. They don't kick 10 field goals in a row and then those guys are done. They're, hey, okay, in 10 minutes, blow the whistle, special teams period, come out and kick two field goals. It's more game timing simulation, same thing for the punters. Um, that's one of the things I noticed is that it's not just, well, we're doing all drills now and then we're going to do all team. It was a mixture of, back and forth, back and forth. And I think that was an interesting dynamic of practice. And uh, I, just for me personally, um, I don't remember a coach. Um, and there hadn't been one for sure. Gene Chizik was probably the guy that was maybe the most animated in practice being a defensive coordinator. Gus has been that. But I don't remember anybody that has gone in every day and done what Brian Harson does on the field, whether it was – going to work out and run stadiums with those guys. He's out there throwing passes to wide receivers. You look up and he's over there with the linebackers. I mean, he is in the middle of things and he's doing stuff. And you heard a player say, look, he's not asking us to do anything he's not doing himself. I think for a, a new head coach, that was probably a pretty big deal. And so I think he, he earned some respect from those guys by just going out there and showing them that, hey, he's willing to jump in there with them. Yeah, I think there's – I mean – in terms of stuff you can do on the field and tangible things you can show on the practice field, there's not much Brian Harson hasn't aced before his first Auburn season. Obviously, you can talk about the recruiting. You can talk about whatever you want, people that that have things to say about um, what he hasn't done as Auburn's head coach so far. But, in, yeah, in terms of the practice field, um, obviously there's been a big difference there from the Gus Malzahn era. And, by the way, you can kind of watch what Brian Harson left over at Boise State um, and what Gus Malzahn is going to do at UCF. That's an interesting matchup to see 
um, tomorrow night, Thursday night, as we record this on Wednesday, that'll be an interesting game. Um, Mark, this is something that I've been kind of interested to see how it's going to play out. The offensive line is still shuffling. Um, they're still going through guys. This is nothing new to us because last season it took a few games. I mean, Brandon Council was starting multiple positions. They were rotating guys in. Um, but this was another question we got from Law Tiger JD. He said, what are your thoughts on the shuffling of the offensive line leading up to and apparently after the first game, first game? He said coaches are always harping on working together, finding harmony. Brian Harson has obviously talked about getting reps with that same group. And then he said shuffling so much in this late seems to cut against both those goals. I can kind of I kind of agree and disagree at the same time. What do you think we're going to see out of this offensive line on Saturday? And, and does it seem like this starting group is probably going to be the one we're going to see against Penn State? Yeah, I think that's still to be determined. I think they're still competing in practice this week. And, uh, you know, he's already said today, uh, he already said on Wednesday, that there's been a, ch- uh, a change in who's running first team on the offensive line. So, uh I don't think they've got it figured out yet, and they might not get it figured out until several games into the season. And uh, but uh, he certainly had a lot of for Brandon Council uh, recently, uh, a guy who uh, can play a lot of different positions and it's coming back from two injuries, the shoulder surgery plus a knee surgery too. So it's going to be interesting to see how he figures in there. But you know, they got eight guys uh, back who started games last year, so they certainly got a lot of options. But uh, you know. You know, I sort of asked a couple times in different ways to different people about you got to try to get those five starters together and build camaraderie and unity and chemistry. And, uh, yeah, they sort of said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, but I haven't heard anybody say they're definitely doing that. Yeah, still a lot of shuffling going on. And, and, you know, last year it was all last year was about getting guys in different positions because of injuries and, and getting guys experience in that way. Um, this preseason and, and last preseason to their credit, um, there were COVID problems. And so they got people experience in that way this year. It's a little bit more intentional of them getting experience at different positions. Um, Philip, speaking of the offensive line, which, which might be the biggest question mark for some people to me, it's wide receiver, because I think this offensive line is going to be a little better than people think. I think you share in that sentiment, but another question we got was I'd be interested from AU grad 06. I'd be interested to hear the position groups you have the most and least confidence in um, going into the opener. Probably some obvious stuff, but I'd be interested to hearing the reasoning. So, Philip, what, what's your most confident position group in this game? And I guess you can kind of lump these first two games because they're pretty similar. Um, and then your least confident that you're that you're looking to see some improvement out of. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Well, the most confident would be uh, the linebackers, Hunter. Uh, I, I don't know. If anybody has three better ones than than Owen Papo and and uh, uh, the McLean and, and and Chandler Wooten, and I think those guys that played just a little bit last year, from what I hear, that that would be number one. I think that uh, the uh, one I have most questions about might be defensive tackle. Two guys that haven't played in the SEC before. So uh, 
I think that's and that's critical uh, to have people that in there that can hold hold the point of attack. Well, actually, when you consider you got three out of the four, because take nose guard into account too. Uh, the only one that's, that's played in the SEC is Marquise Burks, so uh, of the top four that are listed. Because uh, the other one is uh, uh, Fagger, and he obviously has it. I mean, he's played, but he, but he hasn't played in this league. So uh, I would say that's big, my, my biggest question. I don't have as big a question as most of the rest of the world offensive line. I think when you got seven seniors and they've all started, uh, I think last year was quite different in that you had guys that – mostly guys that really hadn't played much. Uh, and – but I think these guys will find it easier to, okay, you're uh, moving from left guard to right guard, right guard to left guard, uh, so we can get the best five out there. But we'll find it easier to do that problem. Jason, here's an interesting question I wanted to pose to you. This, this is from LC Brand 3. This is kind of a, you know, an, it's, it's a bit of a projective and just kind of a fun one, but uh, he said, I'm interested to see who y'all think is going to make the firsts of the season. First touchdown, first interception, first sack, and first explosive play. So a little bit of an exercise here, Jason. Give me your give me your first touchdown season, your first pick, your first sack, and your first big play of the year. Yeah, I think first touchdown, it'd be hard for me not to go with Tank Bigsby in, in first touchdown. I think they're going to come out running the football, be physical. Uh, I would be hard for me not to think that he would be the guy that would score the first touchdown. I think Nehemiah Pritchett's going to have a big year. I think he's a guy that, that I think teams are going to, you know, lean probably away from, you know, Roger McCreary a little bit. I think Nehemiah Pritchett's a guy that, that has a chance. And uh, uh, people don't sleep on by Darius Knight neither. Experienced player. He's got a knack for finding the football. But I go Nehemiah Pritchett. I think he's a guy that reminds me of what the Alabama corners have looked like in the past. And, and they're going to do some of those similar things where they drop off, play a little zone. And so if I let him kind of put his eyes in the backfield some, I think I think it's made for him to be uh, you know more active in that role. So I'd go with him there. Um, first sack. I mean, uh, you know, Derek Hall. Um, you know, again, I think it's it's tough to not to go with him. I think I think he's a guy that's going to have an opportunity in this defense to have some big things happen. And then first big play. Um, Again, I'd, 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 I'd lean towards Tank, but I'm going to go with Javaris Johnson. Um, I knew you'd go there. All right. I've watched him for so long. Bo Nix, they have a connection, and he's a guy that that can absolutely wear out the middle of the field, especially with teams that are going you – know, you're going to get some man coverage. I mean, he's going to get single coverage in the middle of the field because they're going to have to pay attention to the run. So I'm going to go with him as, as a guy that has one of those 25, 30-yard plays pretty early. All right, so we're we're up against the we're up against the clock a little bit here, trying to trying to finish this out in a timely manner. But Mark and Philip, I'll, I'll go to Mark first. This is, you know, we've seen a lot of great opponents for Auburn in recent years. That Oregon game in Dallas is one of the best games I've ever seen in person. Washington was a lot of fun in Atlanta. They played Clemson a couple times. Um, this is in Kentucky last year. It was a great game. Um, this is a little different, but. What are you most – I asked Jason this on the podcast earlier. So what are you most excited about getting back to the stadium, getting to see this team in person, and getting to watch the beginning of the Brian Harson era? What are you most excited about seeing this Saturday? I want to see Bo Nix change a play or two at the line of scrimmage and see what happens because he wasn't given much freedom to do that the last couple of years. And uh, I'm curious to see uh, how much Derek Mason shows 
of his uh, defense because he was pretty multiple out at Stanford and also at, at Vanderbilt too, and uh, got a lot of different blitz packages. I think he could probably keep those in his back pocket Saturday night and just play straight up and have some success. Were you surprised, Mark? I know you've been you've been trying to get at where the coaches are going to be lined up. You were trying to get at that all week. I'm glad you finally got it. Um, were you surprised that Mason is in the box? Because it seems like kind of a guy that can be on the field firing up people. Were you surprised at that? I know Bobo might not have been a huge surprise. No, I definitely expected Bobo in the in the press box. And I thought there was probably about a 75% chance of Mason being up there too. Um, but, you know, it's interesting that Harson said it's not set in stone that both his coordinators will stay up there. And I think it's set in stone that Bobo is going to stay up there because that's where he wants to be. But uh, Mason might come down to the sidelines some at some point during the season. And, uh, you know, he also said they might have another on-the-field coach on defense up in the press box for game one. But he said that's still to be determined. But uh, they got a lot of graduate assistants and a lot of analysts and all these guys have got an excellent football background. So the big thing to me is just like be organized and don't have four people talking on the headphones at once about, you know, there's two changes coming in the secondary or, you know, or, a, you know, personnel changes coming on offense and getting ready because you got to be really organized to do that well. And uh, I've seen some yelling and screaming at each other from coaches and uh, in coaching booths before over the years about uh, how things are being done and handled and getting information down the sidelines. So they need to be squared away on that front. And they got two uh, learning games to do that before they got a real serious game up at Penn State. Philip, what are you most excited about seeing this Saturday as Auburn brings in pretty important, you know, coaching changes don't happen super often at Auburn, bringing in another era, and we'll see what Brian Harson can do. What are you most excited about seeing on Saturday? I just uh, seeing how it operates, uh, seeing, what, seeing uh, how, how smoothly things run. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. I don't know, you know, I, I He's he's talked a lot about uh, just being a a staff offense about everybody having input, and uh, I don't know that Mike Bobo with the game and Truth Serum would be in love with that. Uh, and you know we've seen we've seen the last few years some uncomfortable mixtures of of offenses. Uh, I'm curious to see how that works. I mean, I'm, obviously you, it's going to be really good just to, for it to feel like a football game. And, not just be so weird with with uh, eighteen thousand people in the stands and and uh, and all those things and uh, uh, I just hope everybody stays safe. Yeah, it will not be as weird. It'll still be a little weird. Um, they said on Tiger Talk tonight that actually the players approached the staff and the administration about having a more, a more regular tiger walk. They weren't going to have one as, as standard. They were going to bring the buses up really close to the stadium right. like they did last season. So um, things will be, things will be a lot. You know, the, players love, the players love that tiger walk. Right. Yeah. Uh, they, they really do. But at the same time, you know, in the, the way it's always been done, that would make some people nervous to do that. Yep. Well, there's a lot of close contact there and people reaching out. And so, uh, um, 
But yeah, I'm glad they're having some portion of it. I, you know, they, the Eagle Fly before the game is one of the coolest things you see in college football. I mean, it, it really is. It's, except for the time you ran into the press box with it one time. <laughs> but it's cool. And uh, uh, it's just football. I, I, I look forward to seeing it. Heck, I watched most of the UAB Jacksonville State game, even though it was definitely boring. So. Yeah, I was telling Jason, alternate universe head coach, uh, Auburn head coach Bill Clark. Um, got a pretty good, got a pretty good win there. So thank yeah. you guys so much. We got our roundtable crew together. Hope everybody enjoyed the first um, roundtable podcast of the season. Obviously, we will have a lot more to talk about next week. We're talking about actual game film and stuff Auburn players did on the field. Super excited to do that. Thank you so much to Jason, Mark, and Philip. If you guys enjoyed the show, please leave us a five star review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you guys listen to podcasts. That is the number one thing that helps us out. The intro and outro music is by Beats by Mordecai. You can find them on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys after the game. Everybody have a great rest of the week.